Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Believe. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited today to be joined by NFL Network reporter and on air host, Bridget Condon. Bridget shares the moment she fell in love with sports, gaining confidence, authenticity, and so, so much more. This is a very fun and very frank conversation that you don't want to miss. Let's go. Bridget, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job. I have been very excited to have you on, so I'm so glad we could do this today. I can't wait to talk to you. Like I see so many women on your Instagram and Twitter, and I'm just so excited and honored to be able to share my story. Well, you know what? Then let's jump right in. Could you please kind of taking us start by taking us through your professional journey and kind of how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So I um, went to James Madison in Virginia, and I studied journalism and Spanish there. And so mm-hmm. the summer before my senior year, I got an internship actually in Los Angeles at okay. Time Warner Cable Deportes, and okay. I worked there for a summer. And at that moment, I realized okay, you can get paid to cover sports. This is amazing. So that kind of set me up for my senior year doing some stuff at JMU with the football and basketball team. And I also had an internship in Charlottesville, Virginia. So when I graduated, I actually got hired at that station in Charlottesville, Virginia. I worked there for two years as a sports anchor reporter covering a lot of high school sports, some Washington football team, I guess now commanders, um, and some UVA football and basketball, which was an awesome experience. My introduction to the ACC, which was incredible. And from there, I moved to Raleigh and I worked at the ABC station there for four years covering Panthers, Duke, Carolina, NC State, really the heart of ACC basketball. Coach K, Roy Williams, it was amazing. What an um, and also, That's yeah, amazing. also the NHL team there, the Carolina Hurricanes, which was okay. really, really fun. And then From there, I came to Los Angeles and started working for NFL Network almost a year ago to the day. I think October 4th, it will be a year. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live embedding, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, one week from the day we're recording, I just know. a few days from when this, this comes out. That is fantastic. What an interesting experience. And, you know, my next question kind of goes around building relationships in the industry, but I would love to kind of go back to your time in rally. I mean, you're covering you know, historical coaches, incredible people. And was there ever an intimidation factor? Was it, did you have the confidence going right in? Like, how did all that work? And how were you able to kind of build those relationships? It's interesting because I grew up in Boston. So for me, the professional sports world was really my scene. But Mm -hmm. down in Raleigh, it's so college sports focused with Carolina, Duke, NC State, there's NC Central, Wake Forest, so many power five ACC schools in that small area. 
So it was a bit intimidating because I had no familiarity with this conference, these schools. Obviously, everybody knows who Coach K is, right? But I didn't know the history. And there were times, it's kind of interesting because when you work in that market, no matter what you do, one of the fan bases thinks you're a fan of the other fan base based on, you know, if you're at this game or that game, or if you talk poorly about one team, which you really try not to, but if someone loses, you have to, you know, assess the situation. So that was a little intimidating at first. And I quickly learned what not to say, um, because you don't want to upset anybody. And of course, going into my first press conference with coach K, this is a legend. I remember being in eighth grade science class. And my science teacher was a huge Duke fan, a huge Coach K fan, because he'd been there forever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was so intimidating. But I think it's anything in life, right? The more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And by the time that I left there, I felt so confident. I actually got to cover Coach K uh, retirement news. You know, I remember doing breaking news and I felt so comfortable being able to talk about him, you know, because you Mm -hmm. just get so familiar with those teams and Roy Williams retired. So very historic moments. But of course, when I first walk in there, I'm like, uh, hi, like I'm Bridget. You probably don't care, but I'm going (laughs) to be here. You know, it's just those little baby steps to getting to, uh, being super confident. So let's talk about press conferences. Cause you brought, you say you gave me your first press conference and I've talked about this on the pod. The 49ers were my first week because the company was started covering the 49ers and I got credentialed and this was my first beat. So my first season, I would say, I was going into press conferences and I was pretty quiet, doing a lot of listening, a lot of learning, but would get a little annoyed at myself because I'd have a question and then I think that's a dumb question. And then inevitably oh, the next God. person would ask the question. Oh, so that took God. me some time to get confident. So I, I say that to come back to you in that first press conference and then in general press conferences kind of how did you overcome that? Because I think we all go through it. I don't want to speak for you. So you may not have gone through it. But if you did kind of how did you overcome that? And kind of what tips do you have for some of our young listeners? It's so funny to hear you say that because I know exactly how you feel. And especially Mm -hmm. as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. I'm constantly even now where I feel secure. I work for the NFL network. I know my things. I still am second guessing. I'm if, if I'm adding something, a stat in it, I'm looking up that stat three times to make sure I have it right, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's just hopefully over time we'll get away from that. But in the beginning, I remember the first press conference in the NFL I ever was at was uh, in Washington for their preseason or training camp. I was shaking. And I said to myself, I was like, you came here, you're going to ask a question. So mm-hmm. I like was talking myself through and I could feel the press conference coming to an end. And I kind of just forced myself. I was like, ask it. There are Mm -hmm. people that are asking simpler questions. Nobody's going to remember, just ask it. And I think just talking with yourself, it kind of sounds silly, but just hyping yourself up to do it. Um, And again, you know, I just started covering the chargers this year for the NFL. And that's my first year on that beat. Mm -hmm. And when I first was there, kind of like you were saying, I'm a little timid to ask it. And I think there is a respect level though, too. When you come to a new team, there are people that are there every day. The coaches, the players know them. And I think letting them maybe get the first question or, you know, steer the press conference for a little bit first and then getting in your question. And the more I'm there, the more I'm comfortable with asking the first question or asking five questions. So just getting to know people. And I think too, 
when you're asking a question that is respectful, it's going to earn your respect to from players or coaches so that when a tricky situation comes, we have to ask tough questions. Mm-hmm. If they're used to you or and know you know, who you are as a reporter, it, it's almost easier to ask those tough questions after spending so much time there. And it was funny, my first season on the beat, this is now my seventh season. So when I look back on that, it's just, it's funny because I'm like, I can't believe that I was like so nervous. My first season was with Chip Kelly and it took me a little while. And then all of a sudden I started asking questions. And I remember my first one, I swear he looked at me like, she speaks. <laughs> but then once you get into it and you're right, having that conversation with yourself, like you're just going to ask a question today. And at the end of the day, and this is a tip I will give, this is not about me, but I think this is a good tip. We have to get the answers from them. I cannot quote myself and say, I think this is what Kyle Shanahan is thinking. So I do need to say to him, what did you see out of so-and-so today? Because I can't assume. And so we have to ask the questions. They don't all all have to be Pulitzer winning perfect perfect questions, but we have to ask them. And I think I love that kind of just ask it. It's like the... That's, you're going to be, that's going to be your logo. Just ask it with a microphone. And I think that is, it's really good and important advice. Yeah. And like you mentioned, just ah, going and doing it the first time. I think that's the hardest one. And then after, I remember, I want to share this when I, this is so embarrassing. When I covered the Panthers, <laughs> it was my first time in a locker room post game. And I got okay. the job in Raleigh in like September I started. So it was thrown right into the season. And I was so excited about going to the NFL game that I did today, Bridget would have researched so much more, been way more prepared than Bridget in 2017 was. Mm -hmm. And I was in the locker room and it was like the beginning where star players are still in the shower, right? They're not ready to talk. Mm -hmm. And my photographer was like, we got to get someone like go over to this guy. And I'm walking over to him. I'm like, I have no idea who this is. It was like a backup lineman or something. And I went (laughs) and I asked him some question about the offense, like super generic. And he was like, I mean, I don't know. I play defense. (laughs) I was so embarrassed. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm never going to make that mistake. You know, Mm -hmm. there are players that are teams that you go to. You're not going to know every single person, especially during training camp. But you learn how to ask a question that uh, isn't going to get a response like that. <laughs> well, and I think you said a couple things in there that I'd like to go back to. First of all, you said you, you know you were so embarrassed, but I think one good learning thing for, for our listeners too is like the world didn't come to an end. Yeah. It's not like you never got another job. You know what I'm saying? Like we all make mistakes. We all have our moments. That's what we learn. And then you said also how today, Bridget, that would never happen. And I think that's an important thing too. So if you could talk a little bit about your preparation and your planning, because we talk a lot about in this podcast about being overprepared, which I do think is a bit of a learning thing for all of us. So if you could just talk a little bit about your preparation, whether you're going to Chargers practice or a game, kind of how you bring that all together. Uh, Yeah, I think my preparation has completely changed since coming to the NFL Network, because before I was covering multiple different sports, multiple different teams. So you don't have such a honed in view of Mm -hmm. one specific team. And now I take a lot of pride in working for NFL network, knowing I'm the person that they chose to go out to this practice, whether it's chargers or whoever, Mm -hmm. I better know my stuff and I better be paying attention because the last thing I would want is for me to be at a practice and something to happen and me to miss it and Mm -hmm. be like, you know, you you're representing us. How Mm -hmm. could you not see that? Or how did you not notice that? So I think you know, maybe in years past while you're watching practice, of course, it's only that 15 minute period. And before 
maybe you're chatting, which is fine, like with other players or you're on your phone or you're doing whatever. But now I have these like huge binoculars that I bring and people make fun of me, but I, I can't see anything. I need them. And mm-hmm. certain teams, Chargers, one of them, they, where they put us, it's so hard to see who's stretching. So I'm, I'm looking into my binoculars, figuring out who's on the field, who's out, injured players. Where are you? Are you in sweats? Are you in pads? Are you talking to a trainer? I'm finding all those details out myself. You know, I don't want to just learn this from somebody else on Twitter. I'm also, before I go to a practice, uh, one of the things that I did this off season is I got the Chargers depth chart and I drew it out myself, which for someone as a woman, you know, we did not play football growing up. My Mm -hmm. fiance can know exactly where a cornerback is and where he, you know, I mean, now I know, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's second nature. So I'm drawing out the depth chart and I'm drawing out, okay, here is the left tackle. Here's the defensive end he's going against. And that really helped my brain picture where these players are on the field so much more than just looking at the roster. Okay. I know he's a tackle. He's a guard. He's the center. Um, and, and doing that, it's helped me just kind of process more while I'm at practice. I'm also on every press conference. I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm transcribing my own quotes. I'm going back and reading articles from many different people. So just, you know, over preparation, like you said, but really just making sure that there is not anything I'm missing. Of course, there's going to be things that people are going to break. And I didn't have the opportunity to know that first, Mm -hmm. but as long as I'm up to date with everything that is available to me at the time, um, I think that just helps a lot with being aware of what's going on when you walk into a practice, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And and I'm glad you said that because being overprepared and sometimes I think, you know, we talk about how as women, we don't have, we don't have the same leeway to make mistakes sometimes in, in this industry. Like if we, if you go on TV and say something wrong or a stat wrong or say someone's name wrong or talk about a player who's injured, whatever it may be, you are going to get criticized probably more than a man is going to. Yeah. And maybe not always, but there's a chance. But I, I say that. Because I'm now going to go back and say something else. It's so much more positive. But I say that because at the end of the day, being overprepared is for you. So you feel comfortable. You feel confident. You can do your job to the best of your ability for you. And I really, the way you talked about it, I really like that mindset. And I think it's important. And I love that you drew out the depth chart. That's amazing. I'd love to see that drawing sometime. (laughs) I know. So (laughs) it just helps me. I'm a visual, like hands-on kind of person. So Mm -hmm. to be able to see it and because you know... I wish I played football growing up because I think things would have just come more natural for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you talk about these matchups, it takes me, you know, I'm getting better at it, but it takes me longer to maybe process what's happening than somebody mm-hmm. who played. And I'm not afraid to admit that. Like, that's the other thing is I, I mentioned, I'm so happy. I'm so thankful and prideful to be at NFL network, but I'm not an expert. And there's so much that I still have to learn. And I'm constantly going to, tell people that because I think sometimes people pretend like, oh, I'm here. I know everything. And that's not how it is for me. Well, and I don't really think it's how it is for anybody. And I think it would behoove all of us, especially as women, if we could be open about that and talk about that. And nobody should be expected to know everything. We can't possibly know every single thing that is going on, but it's a matter of being prepared and doing the work and, and all of that. But I think that's an important thing to admit. And, and I think especially as women kind of giving ourselves a break, not just in this industry, in life, giving <laughs> ourselves a break that we don't necessarily know everything and can't necessarily do everything in the moment it needs to be done. 
yeah, I saw a TikTok the other day. I'm, I need to get off TikTok. I spent too much time on it <laughs> where this guy was like, women just need more to make them happy. Like my wife has put so many, it's fall y'all things around the house and pumpkins and whatever. It's like, men don't care about that. I'm like, yeah, women do care about a lot, <laughs> a lot more than men do, but whatever. It makes us uh, detail oriented. I think it's because, and I say this with love. I think women are better multitaskers than men. So women are like, oh yeah, I could decorate the house for Halloween. I could finish up some work. I could make dinner. I can walk the dog. I probably should bathe the dog. Like you could do all these things. And men are like, um, wait, you, I, what? <laughs> what? What are these? And that's not a male bashing thing. I just think women yeah. are better multitaskers and enjoy that process you know, a lot we more. We just I, care. We care. And we more. care. And you know what? I think you nailed it there. We care. You and the TikTok nailed that. Uh, but since you brought up TikTok, uh, I really try sometimes on the show to make transitions seem super smooth, even though saying that makes it feel less smooth. But since you brought up TikTok, I'd love to talk a little bit about the social media world we live in. And it's, it's such a big part of what we do. I mean, such a big part of Fangirl's business is social media. But for all of us now, it's such a big part of the sports world, whether it be Twitter or Instagram, TikTok, all of the things. How do you kind of find a balance there? And then what is your philosophy, so to speak, on dealing with that kind of negativity and trying to block that out or or uh, tackle it head on? No pun intended since we're football. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hard. And I'm not going to lie and say that there aren't days where I feel anxious because of something that's happening on social media. Mm-hmm. I think too, it has created I, I love I love being on Instagram. I love being on TikTok, but I wonder what a life would be like without it because I think it has created for us women specifically, and men too, it has created this instantaneous gratification and we need to be doing this immediately. And I get into a trap where I'm looking at other people on Instagram and I'm wondering, well, why aren't I there yet? Or why aren't mm-hmm. I doing that? Or how come I haven't gotten those opportunities? And it gets dangerous. So I'm constantly every day reminding myself to just kind of be present and think about how far you've come. And it's not a race. And I think sometimes it's so hard to not look and compare yourself to other people. Why does this person have 20,000 followers? Why does this Mm -hmm. person have a million likes? And I think at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. It's not going to make you a better... I, I, I think there... Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of tools and a lot of people benefit from being on social media, but Mm -hmm. if it is impacting your life negatively, I don't Mm -hmm. think you need to be putting all your eggs into that basket. And for me, uh, like I mentioned, when I was in Raleigh and covering the three schools, Carolina, NC State, and Duke, like I mentioned, no matter what you said, one fan base was coming after you. So Mm -hmm. after one rivalry game, I said something and people were attacking me. And at that moment, I turned off my notifications on Twitter and they've been off ever since. And it's kind of great, which Mm -hmm. in one one regard, if I say something wrong on TV or if people are coming after me, I don't know. (laughs) Unless unless I follow you, I don't get a notification. So I have no idea. Um, But it's kind of nice because the thing that's so strange about our job is if we make a mistake, Anybody feels like they have the opportunity to tell us. If somebody doesn't like what we're wearing, they feel like they can contact us. They feel mm-hmm. like they can try and cancel us, ruin our lives. What other job besides, you know, being an influencer has that? I know if, mm-hmm. you know, someone in the business world, if they make a mistake, well, yeah, maybe your client or maybe your manager is telling you, but you're not going at home and having thousands of people 
trying to tear you down from their parents' mm-hmm. basement. You know, it's just a weird thing. Um, but you know, I don't want to sound too negative. I think there's a lot of positivity there. I've met so many women in this industry just from Instagram that I've actually mm-hmm. never met. And we are constantly sharing ideas, hyping each other up, sharing, you know, clothing links for mm-hmm. comfortable shoes for the game or whatever Ooh. it is. Please add me to that shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think it is a happy medium. I also am trying to do a better job of being me too, because I think it's hard. I don't want to share everything about my personal life on Instagram because I don't want people to criticize it all. You know, I want to be able to choose the way I live my life because it's what I want. And I don't Mm -hmm. want to have to listen to everybody's opinion about everything I'm doing. So, um, you know, but I I also think if you let people in, then they're going to see you for you. So it's a balance that I haven't figured out yet. If you know the answer or anyone else, please let me know. But Again, I think it's just a day-to-day management thing. And I don't I don't know that there is an answer. I think you really hit it on the head with a day-to-day management thing and balancing it. And I think it's finding what works for each individual person. I saw someone on Instagram say something a few years ago that did kind of stick with me where she said, I post a lot and let you guys in, but you guys don't really know anything that's going on in my life. Yeah. And I was like, gosh, you know what? And she was right. And so I've somewhat taken that to heart in that I think, you know, part of part of it, like people do want to know us. And, and and I don't mean that like in an ego way. I just think that that's the point of it. You know, yeah. is getting yeah. to know people and, and getting to understand people. But we can all choose how much we share. And that could change from day to day. There may be a day where you want to share a lot. There may be a day where you don't want to share anything. And I think it is very much a personal thing. And turning off your notifications is probably a <laughs> great idea. And it's funny, I actually don't have notifications on anymore either. And I, the other day I was, I have another podcast. I was like, Hey, four hours fans, send your questions for the Tracy Sandler show. And then a little while later, I was like, Oh, I have to go check. Cause I don't have notifications <laughs> anymore. So I need to go check on the questions, but I do think it is super helpful because you're right. People, people feel that they can say things to people that they would never say to them in person. Yeah. And hiding behind a screen makes it all a lot easier. And I just want to add, I don't know if you have younger listeners or people that are trying to break into the industry, but I think the most important thing is being authentic. There are so many people that I see on Instagram trying to be something that they're not or trying to prove to people that they are, whether it's a reporter or, you know, whatever, like a supermodel or whatever you're trying to be. It's like, yeah, it's great if you sit on Instagram and fake all these people. But at the end of the day, when you shut your phone off and you're sitting on the couch in your living room, if you are a completely different person, it's really going to have an impact on you. And I think Mm -hmm. for me, I would rather be so genuine that people know me for me and have no idea who I am on Instagram. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think it, I think it does go farther and authenticity people can figure out if you're faking or not. And eventually maybe in the moment it's, you're getting all this attention, but eventually people are going to figure out that's not who you are. And, you know, I don't think that will end well. I could not agree more. I think it's really, really important. And, you know, I think unfortunately with social media, there is a pressure to project this, this perfection, but you really just have to be you because that's otherwise I think you could also, like you said, it would be such a detriment because you're going to end up driving yourself crazy. Oh yeah. So. 
kind of, I guess, along those lines, um, is there a misstep that you see women making when trying to break into the sports and entertainment industry? Hmm. I don't know if I can speak on that because I feel like I've made my fair share of mistakes. Um, but I think just like if, again, just being authentic, even like going on TV and saying something that you memorized or like a stat or like something that you can say, but you really don't know what, uh, what you're saying. Because I think too, you can get into a situation or even if you ask a coach, like you might read online that all these fans are mad about a coach's play calling, right? But mm -hmm. if you don't know why they're mad about that or what is going on and you ask the coach, hey coach, can you tell me about your play calling? Well, what if he follows up and is like, well, what do you mean specifically? Well, what mm -hmm. is your, what are you actually talking about? What quarter, what play? And so I think that can be a, an issue when you are using things that other people are saying and trying to make them yours, mm -hmm. it can really get you in trouble. Like, yeah, I would love to say this. It would make me sound so smart, but it's not, you don't, ex you don't know what you're talking about. And if someone asks you a follow-up, you might be in trouble and then you look way worse. And in that particular example, I would say nine times out of the 10, the coach will ask a follow-up because <laughs> they'll say what, what place specifically, what quarter do you mean this? And uh -huh. yeah, if you don't know, then that is certainly, <laughs> certainly worse. Because the other thing that I would tell people to potentially try to avoid, and I know we live in a hot take clickbait kind of world, but don't, don't ask questions for that. Oh, yeah. You know, a ask a question because you have a question and you think it's going to be helpful for you. And sometimes you don't have a question. That's okay, too. But don't ask for the hot take or the clickbait, because I also think that doesn't necessarily always lead to a great place either. Absolutely. Uh, is there a criticism that you received early on in your career that, while difficult to take at the time, ended up being really helpful for you? Mm. I have something, but kind of along those lines. So when I was young in my career, there was this place that I dreamed of working my entire life. I wanted to work there so bad. I would have done anything to work at this place. And I finally got the person in charge to respond to me. And they said, come on in, let's have a meeting. I was so excited about this. I go in, I meet with them. And <laughs> it was one of the worst experiences professionally that I've ever had. This person was uh, so, let me just say that I'm trying to say this in a professional way. They told me that it appeared that I really liked sports and knew what I was talking about, but that at their company, appearance was number one and knowledge was number two. And this person looked at me and said, make yourself look good. And then we can talk. And I remember leaving there, sobbing, calling my dad and him telling me, well, you learned you don't want to work there and you're never going to work there. And you value being able to work for a company that appreciates your intelligence, your ability to understand the game and be a reporter. 
And I, so I think while that was detrimental, I remember I have, I keep this journal that I've had since before I got my first job. And every so often I write little, whether it's positive or negative things that have happened, whether I haven't gotten a job or did get a job offer and turned it down or this person, you know, this happened today at work. I want to remember it. And that is Mm -hmm. one of the entries in my journal because I never want to forget that. And I always want to remind myself that for me, the most important thing is working for a company that values me as me, not what I look like on the outside. And so uh, to your point, yeah, that was detrimental to my career in the sense that it, it hurts to hear. I wanted to work there. It totally changed my perspective. It made me realize that this still does exist in this industry. But it also made me realize that I have a choice too. I think Mm -hmm. when we are looking for jobs or looking for that next thing, we forget that we have a say and I can choose to never work for somebody who values that. Mm -hmm. 100%. I think that's a really important thing. It's something that's come up a lot on dating memes and that kind of thing is it's not just about if they like you, do you like them? And the same is very true for your career in that you don't have to work someplace. And if you think you want to work someplace and you find out you don't, that's okay. Because you are also making choices for yourself and your career that are important. And I think in the long term too, you know, there are things that you see as trendy or hot or whatever that you think, oh, I want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. But I'd also rather be a part of something that's kind of smooth sailing, you know, no questions asked. I know it's going to be this way no matter when uh, you know, if it's year one or year five. So I think that's important too, to remember. Absolutely. Also a little bit, I guess, with that in mind, boy, you're really helping with these transitions. Beautiful. (laughs) How have you seen opportunities grow and change for women in the industry? And how do you think we can improve? I think, uh, specifically when I first started, which I guess I got my first job in TV in 2015, there was kind of, um, a lot of the, people who had been in the industry and I'm talking local news industry, mm-hmm. it was, you have to start at a small market and then jump and jump and jump. And a lot of people didn't really break into that top 10 or network if you hadn't been in the industry for like 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. So I think we're seeing younger people breaking into those bigger roles and whether it's because companies want to pay cheaper or whatever, I think we are getting opportunities maybe quicker than we used to in the past. Um, and I think it's important also to make sure you're ready for those. Um, because you know, there are companies that are going to want to hire someone who's straight out of college because they know they can pay them less, but it's important to be ready. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen change is companies are accepting people, any age, any race, any gender for specific roles. And you said something about being ready, which I think is is another part of that. And that, you know, reps are obviously important and opportunities may be coming faster, but it still is important to know whether or not you're ready for that opportunity because people may give it, but if it's, yeah. if it's not capitalized on, that could be the last one. Yeah. And I think that's important to note too, because there are people who have been given opportunities that they swore they were ready for. And it, it kind of stinks, but that first impression is huge huge in this industry. And if you go to an opportunity and you tank, people are going to remember you for that. And of course, there are opportunities and ways to work yourself back into good standing. But I would never want to take an opportunity because I selfishly think it's a great opportunity without being ready. And I think 
Um, one of the reasons why I love working at NFL Network is my bosses there have done such a good job in preparing everybody to mm-hmm. be the best that they can when the opportunity comes, rather than just throwing someone into the fire and watching them fail. There are so many resources there that are available to help us look really good and and give us the the space to grow. That's fantastic. And that's that's great to hear. And I think that's important. So kind of going back to our earlier conversation with this other company that you thought was the be all and end all, and then you've ended up at a place that really is the best thing for you and will probably help you grow and and really flourish as a reporter. Yeah. And I think too, the people that you work with, I'm sure you've experienced this as well. It's so important mm-hmm. because at some of those other places where you know that appearance drives or whatever, you're constantly maybe a little insecure or wondering, is this next person going to take over? But working mm-hmm. for a place that you know has that stability, I can call Willie McGinnis and say, hey, Willie, can you explain this to me? Like, what did mm-hmm. you see on this play? Some there's so many people at my work that I can call up and ask for advice or guidance and they give it to you, which I think is huge too, because that's not always the case because sometimes you feel like you're competing with these people. You don't want to give the answers away to somebody else. I think that's true. It is such an important part of the workplace, especially in this industry. It's so important to be around people that are supportive and that you can count on and helping each other because at the end of the day, it does make everyone better. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's also true. Some cliches are cliches for a reason. And that <laughs> is absolutely one of them. So kind of talking about your workplace, could you take us through a day in the life of Bridget Condon? Yeah. Um, every day is different. That's why mm-hmm. I love this job. Mm-hmm. For an example, if I am going to a charters practice, uh, a lot of times I will wake up in the morning, work out, shower, get ready drive down to Costa Mesa. That's where they practice. Um, and sometimes I do NFL now before practice. So I'll go into, we have a team cam there. So it's really just like a closet and I go in there and there's a little camera and there's lights in our, um, studio at, uh, our office at NFL network controls all that. So I can do TV from there. Um, usually NFL now is like 10 to 12 Pacific time. And then around 12, Brandon Staley will talk. So we'll be doing interviews with him and then open locker room. Uh, so that's where you go up and you can really talk to whoever's available there, building some stories. And then we get a chance to watch the first 15, 20 minutes of practice. Um, so then after that, usually I will contact my uh, manager, whoever is assigned to me for the day, and just kind of go over any pertinent information. If there's something really big, maybe I'll record something. Or if I got something really unique in the locker room, I sometimes write up a web story about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's so many different things in different parts of the day. And then if I'm in the studio, that's a totally different uh, situation. I'll go into the studio. I get my hair and makeup done, which is amazing. Um, (laughs) And go into the locker room and change. And then I will do anchoring uh, from the newsroom. And a lot of times we have these one minute updates. So I'll go into the rundown, figure out what the topics are, what the trending stories are. And I write my own scripts, go on TV, record it, uh, just kind of wait for breaking news. So there's a lot of different things that I do, but Mm -hmm. um, all super valuable and, you know, makes the time go by. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've loved talking to you, Bridget. This has been fun and I really appreciate your candor and your openness uh, and how to borrow a word from you, how authentic you are and how authentic <laughs> you've been. Cause I think it's really helpful 
for our listeners, but I can't let you go yet because we have to do five fun facts. And you may not know this, this is something I do with the 49ers players and they get to pick five things about themselves that people wouldn't otherwise know. But on this show, we ask everybody the same five questions every week. And it's a lot of fun, no pun intended, but it really is because we get so many different answers. Uh, So if you are ready, five fun facts with Bridget Condon. All right, let's do it. What is your favorite moment in sports? Oh, okay. How much time do I have? Can I tell you? You got all the time in the world. This is your podcast. (laughs) All right. Whenever people ask me, like, how'd you fall in love with sports? I tell them this story. It was 2004. Again, I'm from Red Red Sox. I'm from Boston. (laughs) Um, Grew up a huge Red Sox fan. That was how I first got into sports. So it was a Sunday night, game four of the ALCS, Red Sox Yankees. And if you're a Red Sox fan, you know that they could never get past the Yankees. Okay. Mm -hmm. Curse of the Bambino. And it was a Sunday night. It, they were down three games to none. Okay. So if the Yankees win tonight, they're out. Um, and we were there as a family at the game, Aww. sitting behind home plate. I was in, I think, fifth or sixth grade. And awesome. they were losing. And my mom was like, said to my dad, she was like, Dennis, we got to go. The girls have school in the morning, whatever. My dad is a diehard Red Sox fan. Like he worked there growing up, like a whole nine yards. And he was like, we never leave a game early. Like, absolutely not. We're not leaving. The Red Sox end up winning a walk-off homer from David Ortiz. It was crazy walking back to the car. At the time, now that I'm an adult, I realized everyone was probably drunk. But as a little <laughs> kid, you're not thinking about that. Everyone was so happy, high-fiving strangers. It was this feeling that I'd never felt before. Like, how did this game just make us all best friends and so exciting and so happy? Uh, the Red Sox obviously went on to win the World Series that year. Mm -hmm. And that was just such a cool, special moment for me. And I've kind of been chasing that high ever since. That's really why I got into sports because it's just, you can have somebody that you know nothing about. And because you're a part of the same team and fan base, you're best friends. And that is, that is the beauty of sports. That story totally gave me goosebumps. And I was thinking that's the fever pitch season. Yes. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) As you were talking about, I was like, wait, this is fever pitch. It yeah. wasn't. I remember that oh series. God. I remember the whole thing. It was. <sighs> it was incredible. I totally had goosebumps thinking. I about had it. like. I was obsessed with Johnny Damon. I had like a Fair. Uh, a full <laughs> cardboard cutout of him in my room. I was him for Halloween. Had a ball sign. <laughs> so it was just. And then he got traded, and you know, that was oh he, to to the Yankees to the Yankees. Oh I right. My mom came in my room. It was before school, and she's like, "Bridge, I got to tell you something." Oh God. And like what? And she's like. Johnny got traded and I was like to who and she was like the Yankees and I was like no like that was my first heartbreak at the in the neighborhood we had a bonfire and we burned our like Johnny Damon <laughs> like posters <laughs> and jerseys which is kind of messed did that up. did the cardboard cutout get in the bonfire <laughs> oh yeah oh god that's must, I was I must, mad that's where I, I, I yeah. learned what a heartbreak was <laughs> and that there, you know what there's no better place to learn about heartbreak than in the world of sports especially baseball oh, baseball pain my friend Chris says this to me I'm a diehard Dodgers fan Baseball pain is the worst pain. It's just such a long season, so many games. And there's and so much hope. And then so much hope. You can I have always one, you can have a that's thing. Like you have a hitting streak and you're on fire, and then you mm-hmm. go numb and oh we're getting into that time of year. We re- oh yes, we are. <laughs> um, I'm already stressed out. The Dodgers don't have a playoff game till October eleventh because oh, wow. they have a, they have the number one seed and, and they're oh, and they don't they're the bye. And I'm 
are it's two weeks from the day we're recording and I already have like severe anxiety <laughs> about it. But I always, I always tweet the first day of baseball season. I love the first day of baseball season. So much hope, so much possibility, so few tears. <laughs> that changes like within a day. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, all downhill. <laughs> uh, but that that is an awesome story. Uh, thank you for sharing that with yeah. us. What is your life motto? Uh, I think Johnny Damon forever. No, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. I think mm-hmm. we all, you know, life can get tough, right? And if you don't laugh at yourself, it can get really tough. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm the first to admit when I make a mistake, or you know, I'm not perfect. I probably said crazy things on this podcast. I'm sure Twitter world will let me know, but I won't see it. <laughs> um, but just, just to be able to laugh at yourself and know that you're going to make mistakes. One of the things that I keep reminding myself is I'm not, I, we have this idea of being perfect and I'm like, Oh, I'm never going to make another mistake now that I'm at NFL network. That's a lie. I make mistakes every day and just grow from it and learn from it and laugh about it. What is your go-to workout on those mornings you get up? I go to Orange Theory. Love okay. Orange Theory. I, I need that quick one-hour workout done, running on the treadmill, get everything out of my brain. I like to lift a little bit of weights. It's like half treadmill, half weights. So great balance for me. And you know, if you sign up and don't go, you get charged $15. So real motivation to make sure you go. That is good motivation. What is your go-to coffee order? Ooh, okay. Well, now that we're in fall, I'm pretty... I'm plain. I'm basic. I like just a... Iced coffee, one pump of pumpkin. That's it. Okay. Can't have it too sweet. That sounds delicious though. Maybe a little bit of almond milk if I'm feeling, you know. Spicy. A little pumpkin, almond milk, all things. Uh, That actually does sound really good. I might have to give that a try. And last but not least, a book every woman should read. Ooh, okay. I have recently become a reader. Um, (laughs) I didn't didn't read it all growing up and I got a Kindle and now I'm a, a reader. Um... So I'm really into Colleen Hoover right now. Amazing okay. books. I don't know. Did if you read, read Verity? Her. Oh yeah. Have you read November 9th? No. Okay. You got to do that. But anything Colleen Hoover is great. A book that I would tell not just women, but anyone to read is Midnight Library. Have you heard of it? I have not. I think it's Matt. Is it Haig? It's H-A-I-G. Haig. Okay. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Midnight great Library. book. It really, it, I don't want to spoil it, but basically this woman's in a library and every book she picks up is a different version of her life based on decisions she makes. So oh. moral of the story, it just really tells you that there always could be something better, always could be a different decision you made, but it's really about making do with what you have and being happy in the moment and just learning from being present. Awesome. Okay. I'm definitely going to check that yeah. out. Thank you, Bridget. This was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And you guys, since we brought up reading and, and Bridget just gave us such good book recommendations, make sure you're following us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And this week we put out our fall reading list on our feed. So make sure to check that out. Bridget, tell everybody where they can find you. Um, Twitter at Bridget Condon underscore and Instagram at Bridget Condon TV. Um, and then, yeah, on NFL Network, I'm covering the Chargers this season and doing some stuff in the studio. So just pop it on. We have some great people, even if I'm not on that day. Uh, you know, love what we do on NFL Network. I do too. You guys do great stuff. And we've had a lot of you on this podcast, which makes me very happy. So you guys, if you like what you heard, and I know you did, make sure to leave us a five-star review. Make sure, as I said, to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online, And with that, I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, all. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.